Um, generally, when I'm in front of people, I'm pretty blase about it. It's normal, it's easy for me to do, but I've been really nervous about this sermon. And mostly because I'm not preaching about things I'm good at. <laughs> I'm preaching about things that I struggle with. And it's hard to get up in front of people and be like, yeah, I'm really not good at this and I'm trying to tell you what to do. <clears throat> but I want to start off, as we were talking about habits of grace, with this verse or this time that Jesus talked to people. And he issued this clarion call, and I, I'm going to um, read it from you, for you from the message. And he said this, he said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. Let me show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, this is a striking turn of phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace. And when I first heard it, I was like so captivated by this. But if I think about it, like I'm not exactly sure what they mean by this, unforced rhythms of grace. So I wanna unpack this a little bit with us. And to do this, I, need, I think we need to step back and ask a bigger question and ask, what it is that God is trying to do. Like, what is God doing? I mean, with creation, with us, with the world, what is he doing? And I'm really sorry, but I don't have an answer for that completely. That's <laughs> um, a little above my pay grade and probably about above most of ours. But even though I don't have a concrete answer for that, I feel like we can go back and look at the history of God's interaction with humanity and see a little bit of what he was putting in place. And in those, we can begin to see rhythm. Rhythm flowing through. Rhythms of sacrifice. Rhythms of life. Rhythms of grace. Let's look at the very beginning, chapter one, in this incredible poem about the way the world was created. And it said, God spoke, and things came into existence. And he made light and separated it from dark, and there was evening and morning and day. And then again, evening and morning, second day. Evening and morning, evening and morning, a cycle and rhythm begins to develop until the seventh day when God rested. And then a cycle of rest and grace for, for beings created began to be put in place. And then God introduced this rhythm on in through his creation even after the fall. It gets introduced in the way he interacts with the, human, with the Hebrew people. In the covenant that they establish, they put in all these life rhythms. And I'm putting in some really broad brushstrokes. But the idea of Sabbath, time to take rest and be in the presence of God. The idea that 
in the cycle of planting and caring for and providing for people to have things to eat, there was also put in a cycle of rest for that. Every seventh year, you were supposed to leave your field fallow and let it recharge. So here again, grace for the earth. He put in, in the Hebrew calendar, cycles of feasts and fasts that were meant to be times of celebration and remembrance, giving us chances to rejoice and chances to mourn. Again, cycles and rhythms. And even had this idea of the year of Jubilee where every 50 years, things reset. People were set free. Things were restored. Rhythms of grace. But unfortunately, as we look back at this, we can see how many of these rhythms got codified into law and structure. And instead of being a rhythm that breathed life, they were things that were hard and fast and had to be followed a certain way. Because rhythm and structure are different. Structure is defined boundaries. Yes, it can hold up a building and it can protect, but it's an external limit and it's definitive. In order to fit a definition, something has to look a certain way. That's structure. But rhythm is something completely different. Rhythm creates impetus to move. It is a backbone and a springboard and a heartbeat. It is something that moves us forward. It doesn't hold us in. And when Jesus came along, he came to a group of people who, very much like us today, are steeped in structure and religion. And he stood up in the temple to announce his ministry and read from this scroll, and in that moment evoked again the rhythm of grace. He read from Isaiah 61, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom to the captives, proclaim a release from darkness for prisoners. Cycles and rhythms of grace. Again, the year of the Lord's favor and the vengeance of our God. Comforting those who mourn. Changing the cycle. Restoring the rhythms of grace. Not only do these echo the things that God put in place years and years ago of, of cycles of jubilee and freedom and release, but it was reminding us that Structure is not most important. The rhythm is. Which brings us back to when Jesus said this. That was so nicely translated by Eugene Peterson in the message. He comes in Matthew 11, and he's talking to a group of people who had grown up in the structure of religion. And they had just been confronted with the zealousness of John the Baptist, who very vocally called them out on their acceptance of the status quo and their being entrenched in the external and not looking at the heart. And Jesus backed him up on this. He called them out on their choices. But then he flipped for a minute and he said, look, everything I'm telling you to do comes from my time with God. My relationship, my journey, I listen and he tells me and then I tell you. My way of life, my path, these are all a joint operation with God. 
Jesus is revealing the things that God has revealed to him, and he's only doing what he sees God doing. And we see this so much in Jesus' life, how time and again he would take time away from the noise and the bustle and the craziness and separate himself out to listen, to seek, to hear, to be silent. And it's in this context that Jesus says again, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on this religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you will recover your life. He's inviting us into this space and this journey, this intimacy with God. He says, I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn how to live freely and lightly. And this is an invitation, not to enter a religion, but to enter a relationship and a covenant. When we enter in, something different is happening. It's not building up an external facade, but instead we're getting yoked with the creator of the universe, partnering and walking in rhythm with someone whose thoughts are so much greater than ours. One who knew the answer to that question when, when they created the universe and when they created us. Someone over whom we are not really gonna be able to exert control. And this is the rub, because coming in, into this place, into this relationship, means that we have to let go a little bit of control. And that control thing is likely gonna be a problem for us, because quite honestly, we, like just about all humans, like control. We like structure, we like knowing the answer and knowing the rules, knowing who's in and understanding who's out. And generally, if we focus on the rules and the structure, we don't have to look at our own hearts. We don't have to focus on who we're becoming. But the rhythms of grace are much more interested in the state of our hearts. God, the creator of all, is much more interested in who we are becoming. And it's in light of that that Christ is inviting us into this rhythm, this rhythm of mystery where we don't know the answer to everything, this rhythm of wisdom where we are learning what God is doing, and this rhythm of grace where we are being given the opportunity to step into this unknown, this partnership that will radically change us, help us recover ourselves, and as a result, change our world. This requires action on our part, as well as an investment from us, because if we follow Jesus' metaphor here, living in the rhythms of grace require communion, a spiritual and mental interchange with God. How do we do this? How do we make space to find this rhythm? In this passage, Jesus gives us the clue. He issues these invitations. Come to me. Get away with me. Walk with me. 
Learn from me. Watch me. And in our church um, history, there are a number of practices that really help us do these things. To come away with, to be with, to walk with, to watch. And those practices include things like Sabbath, which is about setting aside time. Time to rest and time to engage with God and engage with spiritual community. Practices like silence and solitude, where we turn off the external noise and we let ourselves be alone, just us and our creator. Could be things like unplugging, which in our day and age is a really hard thing to do because that means setting ourselves apart from all the crazy news that's going on, all the emails that are coming in, the responsibilities from work, the phone calls, the family, the friends, the activities, and turn it all off. Or it could be practices like examine, which is about reflecting over your day, seeing when God was shining through, seeing the moments when you made it and the moments when you missed it, and inviting God into those spaces and preparing for what is ahead. It could be contemplation, where you look and use ancient practices like Lectio Divina or Florigium or Havruta, where you are using that to engage with sacred texts or focusing on a verse or focusing on a, um, something, a phrase that somebody has said to you, and you spend time meditating and contemplating those words and letting them take root in you. It could also be active rest, when you are choosing things that set up appropriate boundaries and give you room to breathe. And here's the thing, I do not do these well. I, I'm an extrovert, I process things externally, and I have ADD, and so I think about these things and I'm like, oh good lord, like they're hard. They are really hard. Uh, that sounded really whiny for a minute, but they are. For me, they are. Like, I mean, seriously, the first time I went on a silent retreat, um, well, it was sprung on me. I did not know that's what we were going to do. And <laughs> it was eight hours, and I ended up in tears. Like, I, it was not okay. Um, it would be like me going out tomorrow to run a marathon. Like, my body would not be able to handle that. Like, I would be in a world of hurt. And, and at that point in time, my spiritual muscles for silence and solitude were not that strong. It was painful and tough. I even tried, like, there was a period of time where I was like, I'm going to get up every morning at 5.30. Not a morning person. Perpetually exhausted pigeon. Not a night owl or a morning bird. Anyway, uh, sorry. Um, <clears throat> so I, I was like, I'm going to do this every day. I was a youth pastor at the time. And I'm like, going to do this. I'm going to have like worship time at 5.30, and I'm going to focus, and I'm going to do God things. And I literally was like, okay, 
here, and the sun is rising. And do you remember Amber's sunrise sweater? Do you remember the time Maurice wore Amber's sunrise sweater to church and nobody noticed, but then somebody afterwards said, hey, haven't I seen that before? And then you remember when the time when Maurice came over and he helped you change the brakes on your car, and oh my gosh, you know, I haven't done the oil change in my car for a while. And within two minutes of trying to be in the presence of God, I was like, oh, I need to get my car in to get the oil change today. And it, I just felt like such a failure in that moment. So when I got the email saying that this is what I'd gotten assigned to, I got a little pouty. <laughs> I was like, really? This one? <laughs> Me? So in my poutiness, I was on Instagram, as you do. <laughs> and uh, Brandon Robertson, who a long time or a while ago used to attend the table, who is now pastoring his own church in San Francisco, he had a ask me anything good moment. So I decided I'm going to do this. I'm like, Brandon, why do you think most spiritual disciplines are introverted in nature? I'm like, I want my justification for this. And this is what he responded to me. Because humans in general have trouble going inward. And unless we do the inner work in the stillness of our souls, we won't be effective at creating an outer world of peace. Also, these disciplines are increasingly harder in our era of tech addiction. So plug for Brandon, he's got some books out, you should find him. Uh, he writes well, clearly. Uh, um, and also, that was just a really important kind of slap on the hand for me. Reminded me that I really didn't have a right to be pouty at this moment because it's important. When God says this, come to me, come away with me because here's where I can give you life. He's not kidding. But like any other rhythm, instead of living in the, oh, I can't do this, we have to learn to establish in small steps ways this rhythm works with who we're created to be. My dad gets up every morning, takes the dog for a walk, brews his coffee, comes back and sits in the rocking chair, and then he reads a scripture and spends time with God. And it fuels his day, and that sounds like torture to me. <laughs> but quite honestly, I can find quiet and stillness in my shower and it ends up being a moment of incredible clarity for me a lot of times. Or sometimes on the metro home, I just won't listen to a book on CD, won't listen to music. I'll just let myself contemplate the day and contemplate what's next and contemplate what God is doing. You have to find ways to build this muscle in a way that works for you. But like Brandon said, these are important because they help us go inward. They help us partner with God to do the work in our hearts and address who we're becoming. These practices make it difficult for us to dull away the things we can't control. It makes it difficult for us to silence the things we don't want to listen to. One of my favorite um, theologians who unfortunately has passed away is Dallas Willard, and he wrote some really great books like The Divine Conspiracy and The Spirit of Disciplines. And I just want to put on a plug for that. It's like a really juicy, great book. Like there's an entire chapter where he talks about Jesus and um, Schrodinger in the same, like it's amazing. So you should go get it, Spirits of the Disciplines. Um, but he 
backs up Brandon with this. He talks about this. He says, think about what it says about our inner emptiness of our lives if we must always turn on the tape player or the radio to make sure something is happening around us. These practices of silence and solitude and Sabbath and examine and contemplation are not the places that we live our whole lives, unless you're called to that, and if you are, more power to you, and it's not me. But instead, what they do is help us find, in the midst of the cacophony of life, the rhythm of grace. These are the practices that help us stop and feel our pulse. They help us reorient and listen again and to see things in a new way. I'm going to go back to the message for a minute again in Romans 12, 2. And it says this, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So when Jesus invites us to come to him, to come away with him, he's inviting us to step out of the stream of our culture and allow God to change us. It affects the way we see our world, and it helps us be a part of what God is doing around us. Helps us see things that we wouldn't normally be able to see. There are a number of examples of this in scripture. Um, a couple that I just really find captivating. Go to Luke 2 and read the story of Jesus' birth and look at Simeon and Anna. Two people who devoted their time to listening and being in the presence of God. And both of them were cued to the fact that this baby who was walked in the door of the temple, was really the Savior, the Messiah, the one come to set them free. That's an incredible statement of faith. Can you imagine if someone came up to your child and be like, I know what this child is going to be, and it's amazing, right? It's a pretty big legacy. But their posture towards God allowed them to see what other people wouldn't see. Another one that is one of my favorites is Mary of Bethany. She was Lazarus' sister, and Jesus was really good friends with the family. And there was one time that he came with all his disciples to their household, and Mary's sister Martha starts trying to make everything ready for this big posse of people staying in their house to provide hospitality, to feed them, to figure out where everybody's going to sleep. And Mary abdicates every sense of responsibility for that and goes and sits at the feet of Jesus. Martha gets really ticked off. And, you know, I, I kind of understand that. And she's like, God, tell her. I'm out here doing all these things to make things right. Tell her to come help me. And Jesus is like, no. She has chosen what's best, and it's not going to be taken from her. Fast forward to the week before Jesus' life. Triumphal entry happens. People are singing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus comes in on a donkey. It's this incredible high moment. The disciples are buzzing, and they end up at, in, in uh, Bethany again, and everybody's really excited. Like, look, this is the time. Like, Jesus is coming into his own. 
And Mary saw something completely different. This woman who chose to step out of the rhythm of her life to be in the presence of God suddenly saw something nobody else saw. And she went and took part of her inheritance, her burial spices and oils, the ones that were meant to be for her when she died, a part of her dowry, a part of her sort of worth. And she came in and poured these over the head of Jesus. And people were outraged. You could have sold that and fed all these poor people. And Jesus said, no. People will tell her story because she was the only one in that moment who saw what God was doing and saw that Jesus was about to die. When we walk the unforced rhythms of grace, God is working in us and he enhances in us our ability to see and understand things that we couldn't have known. It builds in us the strength to hear and obey even when it doesn't make sense. And as I finish up today, I wanted to tell you a story from my life. As someone who has such a hard time with these things, I want you to see what it's like in practice. And I thought like, of a number of significant times where I saw this evident in my parents' life. If you ever want to hear the story of how God saved my mom's life by telling my dad not to go to church, I will tell you that story and you will get goosebumps. It's amazing. But my dad's good at listening. I'm not. So I need to tell you about a time that I worked this muscle. And it changed me. So I want to tell you my experiences on 9-11. I was at that time the youth and worship arts coordinator at my church, which is a big title, but one of the things I was in charge of were all the worship arts teams, and I would lead worship on a regular basis. And I was also involved in a missions organization. I was on the board of directors for a young-term missions organization. And I had a board meeting the day of September 11th. And the entire week before this board meeting, I just had this nagging thought in the back of my head that I needed to go buy a particular album by U2. Now this was firmly in the days when I was, I just believed that you know I should only listen to Christian music and even though U2 was like kind of Christian but not, like it was like, it was secular. And I just like, I'm like why is this in the back of my head? Especially this one like from 1981, like I don't know. But I just had this like in the back of my head that I should buy this. So September 11th, I get in my car and I'm driving to Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's about an hour and 45 minutes from where I lived through rural Indiana. I had a book on CD that I was listening to, my little portable CD player in my car. So I I had no idea what was happening in the news, no idea what was going on. And I arrive at the location and nobody is in the office and nobody is in the boardroom. What the heck is going on? Like I sent the agenda, like this is supposed to be happening. So I went upstairs to the apartment above that the the missions organization also had. And everybody of course is gathered around the television in shock. And I walk into the room just in time to see the second building fall. And I was floored. Like 
what do you do in that moment? And I'm sure a lot of you have similar stories where you just, there are no words. And in this room of a number of other Mennonites, there was like all kinds of thoughts and, and perspectives and feelings and awe and pain. And all of a sudden I was like, I, don't, I need to not be here. I need to go talk to God about this. So I left the living room and I went back downstairs to the boardroom and sat down at the piano and I started just sort of playing and I had this phrase in my head from Habakkuk that was like, in wrath remember mercy, in wrath remember mercy and I was just kind of playing around with it and I just started crying I'm like, oh God, what is this? Like, I had no words, just nothing. Later on that day, um, I was heading home and on the way home, about a half hour out of Fort Wayne, I realized I was on schedule to lead worship that Sunday. And I was flummoxed. Like, all we sang were songs of praise and happiness and God is awesome and he is mighty and things are great and yay, Jesus. And it just felt so inappropriate for this moment of tragedy. And in my, like, just sort of all those emotions, and I just kind of was, like, angrily in the silence of my car, God, what am I supposed to do? Like, how are we supposed to do this Sunday? And, and I recognize it was a very selfish question, but I just, I was so overwhelmed with that at the moment. And in that silence, I heard go by October. I was not happy with that answer. So in my snittiness, I said, okay, well, I'm going to go by a Walmart on my way home in this little rural Indiana town. If there is an album there, I will buy it, but I doubt this 20-year-old like release of a U2 album is even there at a Walmart in this little tiny Indiana town. So I went in, I got some of the stuff I needed to do for work, and then walked back to the audiovisual section. And there was one, one October CD. So reluctantly I buy this CD and I go out to my car and I put it in the little CD player and I start driving home. And the first song plays and I'm like, whatever. And the second song plays and I'm like, whatever. And then the third song starts and this is what I hear. It's falling it's falling and outside the buildings are tumbling to the ground. And inside a child on the ground says he'll do it again. And all of a sudden I'm crying so hard I can't see. Pull my car over the side of the road and in my like ugly crying I hear Bono saying, what am I to do? Just what am I to say? And I'm like, yes, yes. And then I hear, but he said he'd change the world someday. So I rejoice. And right then, I just heard this voice say, weeping is there for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And joy is not you faking it. It is not you putting on a happy face. It is not you smiling through the pain. It's when you come to the understanding that no matter what you're going through, I 
am. I am bigger. I am. I am more than enough. And when you ask me, what do I want from you? I want you to enter into that joy. I want you to rejoice. So that's what I tried to do with my congregation that Sunday. Um, I told them this story. Again, remembering that in those moments when I set myself apart and I chose the silence, that's when I had the moment to hear what God was really saying. These practices interrupt the noise and the patterns of our world and they help us connect with God to see how God is interacting with creation. It opens ourselves to see things differently and become a part of changing the world. But that change comes because we ourselves are changed. As we walk these unforced rhythms of grace, grace becomes our heartbeat and our impetus and the way we move. Let's pray. God, come. Call us to you again. Call us to walk with you, to be with you. And in that moment, let your rhythms of grace change our lives and our hearts. And as we come to this table, let it be a physical step of us taking the choice, making the choice to come be with you and learn these unforced rhythms of grace.